0: Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly, I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by guest James Williams. James, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, it's a pleasure to be here. Before we get started, could you give folks who maybe haven't encountered you before a little bit of background about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, I am a serial entrepreneur, but software developer first. I sort of started software development back in the early nineties, circa 1993. 14 startups later, I ended up running my own business uh, a software development agency or or firm, and then sort of baptized in a lot of failure, ended up figuring out a formula that I think works for not only myself, but a lot of software developers. Had some great success in the industry, worked for companies like Google, Symantec, Baritone, which we took public, Teletrack. So I've been, been around the block many, many times, many moons ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So let's let's start with the definition of terms. So what is a fractional CTO?
1: A fractional CTO is someone who provides leadership, strategy, and sometimes implementation for entrepreneurs or business initiatives who can't afford a full-time CTO. Anyone listening to your show, you know, they might be aware of what a compensation package looks like for a CTO. You know, in today's market, it's $450,000 $450,000 with one or two points of equity. a So a hefty stock package, a vacation package, a signing bonus. And a lot of entrepreneurs need the leadership. They need the strategy. They need the CTO insight, but they don't have the pockets to sort of pay like an IBM, like a Microsoft, like a Google, or you know someone with a $20 million run rate backed by venture capitalists. So fractional CTO is the ability for that said entrepreneur to buy into that leadership, get those insights at a fraction of the cost. And what does your day-to-day look like when you're doing
0: uh, that sort of service for someone? And and maybe another way to ask that question is, or to get into that question is, how many startups could you concurrently serve?
1: Two, 10, 50? That's that's probably the best question. I think for for us in terms of the fractional CTO service our sweet spot is 8 a year mm-hmm. and it and it sort of depends on the level of engagement because we don't like to to fail if it's an organization with 50 software developers that's a very different picture than an organization with 3 software developers or no software development team mm-hmm. so we have to do a pretty good job of diagnosing and ex- uh, assessing the organizations that that we work with We've done up to eight successfully, a more comfortable number is actually four or five. And when you say we, what does that mean? Well, so uh, the fractional CTO services is, is one of the services that we we offer, but we also have a software development team. I mean, we've done software development since 2009, all over the, all over the map. So in some cases to solve a specific business problem, we, it might make sense for us to use our software developers or oversee their software development team. Mm-hmm. So we have the fractional CTO service, which is sort of one business division. And then we have traditional software development where we act as an agency.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you ever sell just the software development team or do you only make that available to people for whom you are CTOing?
1: We do, we do sell it separately, but not, as you might imagine, not the hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's a surprise. So, our software development agency partners with still entrepreneurs and, and business initiatives, whereby they're looking for a firm to partner on business outcomes or business goals. So, rather than saying, I got a JavaScript guy or a Rust guy or a Golang guy, and here's my rate sheet, and you can buy my hours, it's more about what business goals are you trying to achieve? is it something that we can get behind and that we can do successfully? And then we partner to, to solve a business problem. Mm, okay. So, uh, we're already flying across topics. We're going to have to
0: loop back and go deep, but I'm taking notes. So how do you, are there, is there more than one, per, more than one person on your team who acts as fractional CTO, or is that
1: just your job and other, and the other people are the devs? that's just my job that's that's an accurate assessment okay so I'll focus on the fractional CTO when we have partners who'd like to engage that way and then I have devs that where needed will do the implementation or traditional software development practices and services right but outcome oriented okay so how do you price if it,
0: let's say you uh, are just going to do a fractional Cto engagement with a non-technical founder who's who has three devs You know whether they're full-time or you know contract or not but they're full-time so he's got a a little team what is is that like a monthly advisory retainer or how do you or or does it does it depend every time or do you have like a set price for that for that sort of tier so
1: we productize that we have three tiers so we have what's called solopreneur entrepreneur and then enterprise which is on our website Mm. and we have a variety of ways to play but if you look at the list price on the website, there's, you know, we base it on revenue and size. So if you are a pre-seed or in, a, you know, a series A organization, there's a package for you that includes strategy and advisory, you know, things like technology roadmaps, product roadmaps. How do you plan your, your cap table? And then you get deeper sort of in the rat hole if you choose the next level up, which is entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Enterprise might include the fractional CTO service and the software development team. And in that case, we own a, a pretty good piece of, of software development. And you have me, whether you like it or not, as your CTO. <laughs> and would they at that level, would they probably
0: have some sort of product leadership and you'd be working with them or maybe
1: not? It depends. I mean, as you know, these organizations come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. so. If an organization has product leadership, a vice president of product or a CPO, we're happy to work with them. Um, same thing with, with designers. But if not, um, I'm an old dude, so I've been around since the early 90s. Uh, we're happy to fill any product holes. We like to think that we've got a lot of experience in building a variety of products. And that's part and parcel to the service that an organization you know, would get. That's what they're investing in okay great and these three
0: tiers are they they're priced on their website or do how does the sales process work do they have to set up a call and uh, you talk through it or is it they could just say oh wow here's how much this would be and i can see that this is the slot i would go into and then when they reach out to you they're pretty
1: much pre-sold the, i would say the la- the latter in terms of we have the pricing tier on the website, but there's also, there's always that invisible fourth package. You know, I like to break things in three, a la Alan Wise. Mm, So, you know, we, we have the three services, but invariably you call someone up and they go, yeah, I like the price of solopreneur, but I need a couple of these things as part of the enterprise package. And so we do custom packages when it makes financial sense. And we do those custom packages also when it makes business sense, but We're not allergic to someone calling us up and say, here's our definition of a fractional CTO. We don't accept all of that business, but in the case where it does, you know, where it makes sense and the Venn diagrams align, we're happy to take that business.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: And do you have any particular uh, sweet
0: spot kind of ideal client? I mean, other than the the three obvious size differences that you've got buckets for, is there, I mean, we're talking startups, but is it generally a SaaS or might it be a hardware startup or like uh, aerospace? Like does it does it not matter or are you, is it mostly where the buyer's core business is a software
1: product? That's a great question. So we, we have clients who their core business is not necessarily software, but they have to do um, integration. And then we have clients who are building a software development product or they're releasing um, a mobile application. For us, the sweet spot is someone who just received investment or is about to receive investment. They might be anywhere from pre-C to series B. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone that would go to a Y combinator or would go to some sort of incubator where they're looking for more than just hands on the keyboard. You know, I say that on our website all the time, be more than just an engineer, be more than just an entrepreneur. So we're looking for people who we can partner with for their success, get out of the question, get out of the conversation of of hours and tasks and sort of, you know, I call it the helicopter mom CEO. Mm -hmm. So we we run for the hills and and run affectionately away from that (laughs) and look for for people that are looking to partner around uh, success. In, in terms of the shape of the, uh, the entrepreneur, you know, the clients that I love to work with are the ones that have a dream. They might've raised money or they might be bootstrapping. They might've taken a second mortgage on their house, but they are really laser focused on solving a problem in, in society. And they're less concerned about what our JIRA tickets look like <laughs> and more concerned about the outcomes that we can get. Cool, great. It totally tracks. Okay. So
0: so for a, for a fractional CTO only engagement, historically,
1: how long do those last for you? It's all over the map. I think we've seen, if you look at eight out of our last 10 clients, they usually last anywhere from eight months to a year. A lot of cases when they buy fractional CTO services, they have a long-term plan to hire a full-time CTO, hire a team. And that is something that we help with, um, I would say 100% of the time, we end up helping build a team for that third package. So they they are fully aware that they're buying a, a fractional CTO service, and they like partnering with people who are not trying to steal all the business or sort of keep all the technical toys to themselves, but someone who has a mind towards solving the business problem And solving that business problem might mean we're not the best firm for you long-term. It might mean you can't afford us long-term. It might mean you need an outsource team, uh, overseas team, or it might mean we're hiring locally in your market. Okay, cool. So let's drill into something that
0: I've seen people, including myself, uh, have a problem dealing with, which is when you are operating with a client at an advisory level as this fractional CTO, but you're also getting your dev team is also getting paid, so there's uh, a potential situation, or at least the appearance of a eh, conflict of interest is uh, too strong. But you know, it's like you say to the this uh, the CEO, oh, we should do this thing that's going to cause you to give my devs a whole bunch of money, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yeah, but <laughs> You know what you should do is back a dump truck up to my bank account. <laughs> and, right. Yeah. So, so I've seen that personally uh, and I've seen it with others. But but you mentioned this sort of outcome-focused implementation, which I imagine could address this issue. So what's, let's talk about the outcome-focused implementation or, or what, however you phrased it. You know, it's not about hours. It's not about, you know, this number of dev hours per week or month. How do you... Scope out and price that, that
1: tier. So when I think those are great questions and, and I, it's a challenge that um, I've seen over the years that we're we're pretty used to having this discussion. In the case of, of pricing, I do a lot of disqualifying, and I ask a thousand trillion questions up front, mostly because I'm afraid of failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're a small company, a relatively small company, all you have is that next referral. Um, in terms of your business development, unless you're spending crazy money on on ads. Mm-hmm. So I think for us, what we we price it based on on the business outcome. As an example, we've unfortunately or fortunately worked in a, a lot of mortgage projects over the last six years. Mm-hmm. So rather than we're building you this thing, this back office thing, and you're gonna pay us a, a retainer, the the scope of work and you know, we don't even do scope of works, but the proposal would be something like increase loan volumes by N percent yeah, or increase scale or reduce churn. So there are qualitative terms that we're sort of attracted to. And those terms help guide the narrative towards whether you need our team or not. And by the way, we're not a big team. So 90% of the time we're saying, no, don't use our team. I would rather take the advisory part and use your team um, if you have it. So right. we're not going gung ho and in, in using our team because I see that that fails. Um, that fails a lot. And I think there are specific cases where that works and you have to have a keen eye towards when that works and when you should steer clear of it.
0: Mm. Can you
1: unpack that a little bit? Because that's kind of like the magic trick yeah, so the magic trick here is if they have a software an incumbent software development team, I'm always looking for signs to to disqualify. If they have an incumbent software development team that's pretty good or is very passionate, they've been there five years or they've been there six years, I already know at that stage that there's a good chance that our team won't work because rather than focusing on the business goal, you're trying to get personalities to mix. Mm-hmm. They're very territorial. Where is this team coming from? The CEO brought James and his crew in, and who the hell are they? And yeah, you know, totally. what are they going to do? So you end up breaking up kindergarten fights <laughs> and focusing on, on the goal. What I do <laughs> is I wait for them to ask, and mm-hmm. I usually wait for the ask to come from multiple areas in the in the business. So if I'm working with a vice president of engineering, and he's like, "Gosh, James, we got to." you know, we got to hit this goal here and we just don't have enough resources. Would someone on your team be able to join or do you have several people? And I say, that sounds great. Let's talk about what that would look like. And usually I lead with questions from the back and let them sort of dictate and come up with what what would work for them. What I don't do is say, I'm your fractional CTO and I think you should use my team for these things. And here's our top rate. Mm -hmm. I never say that. Right. It's too risky. Right. It's like, it's like, but you, you know,
0: later the, the potential fallout from that is terrifying for someone like me, you know, it's like, but
1: you told us
0: we trusted you.
1: Exactly. and I don't want to be in a situation where I'm failing because someone has an imaginary list of things that we made up four months ago that neither of us remember. (laughs) It's a let's call it a product roadmap or a task list. Let's call it uh, a backlog. And then we look at that backlog and we're having uh, a debate versus the backlog and reality. So I'm usually saying, here's the outcome, here's the business, business goal. But if that person is like, well, let's pull out this backlog from February and let's go through the backlog. Those are the things that I sort of steer away from and what i find is if you keep the narrative on the goal increasing loan volume um, Mm -hmm. increasing scale you have a latency problem right it's you have a 500 millisecond latency problem and you're getting a 500 server error which is costing your business x that's the problem that we're solving
0: okay yes i love it i mean you couldn't be preaching to the choir anymore i know we're both alan weiss longtime alan weiss disciples so that all tracks. How do you, in, in your world, how do you keep, tactically, how do you keep the client focused on that metric, keep them away from shiny object syndrome, or like our competitors just did this thing, so I know we're in the middle of something else, but I want you to copy that, or something, or, or well, let's start there, because I've got a follow-up question to that. So how do, how do you, or do you find it difficult to keep them on track with those things? And if if so, what are the sort of lines that you use To get them back to the big picture?
1: Well, Alan Weiss says something that I like that I've changed, which is no one likes a humble consultant. And my motto is be rude. If I'm going to help these people, I need to be rude. So if someone said, hey, competitor Acme is doing it this way, I want you to copy it. I might say, well, go work with them then. Because (laughs) that's not why we're here, right? I don't need. You don't need to pay me, and I don't necessarily need your business, so go work with with ACME. I also think that there's a level of an elevated status. When I go to a doctor, I understand that that doctor is superior to me in that particular craft. When I work with my chess coach, who's a grandmaster, if he tells me that this is the best move on the chessboard, it's the best move on the chessboard, and I'm not debating. I'm trying to understand why, and I'm trying to learn. So I think part of what we offer in the software development business is an elevated status. And you know, I've been doing this since 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been through every downturn in the market. I've had enough success that I sort of understand what it takes to build these software products, and I know what you know. I know what the end of this movie looks like, and I'm trying to. Align myself with people who understand that. I would say if I'm working with someone who says, "James, I think you should use React Native <laughs> with a combination of Vue.js," and I would like you to use DynamoDB, yeah. um, I'm sending them a termination notice. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, I I
0: can remember it. You reminded me of one of the things I used to say when I was doing a similar thing. Uh, they they'd be they'd bring something up, and it wouldn't even be that. It wouldn't even be that ridiculous, like they were dictating a stack or like, you know, whatever, but they would, they'd just be on, they'd have a, be in their bonnet about doing something that I was like, that I'm just like, that's not a good idea. It, it, and, and I, it wouldn't even necessarily be that I could articulate why or that it was definite or there's any way to prove it. And I would just be like, I don't know, man, my spider sense is tangling about that, you know? And, and if, if you were working with people who respect, your expertise at what you do and you respect their expertise at what they do because they're running a business that's in my in my case every single person who ever hired me had a successful business it was a a better than a going concern they were big in some cases huge so i I would respect that they knew their customers better than i did they knew their industry better than i did but you're but you are not going to tell me even i'm trying to i'm trying to think of a a higher level decision like um whether or not to go with uh, HTML or native or something like that, you know, it's just yeah. like a big, uh, an early architecture decision. You know, it could be as simple as on-prem versus AWS or whatever. You know, something big and early, and I'd just be like, all right, I don't, I don't know, I don't think so. And and good clients would be like, all right, you're the boss with that stuff. You get veto power, hundred
1: percent. And I think that's the way. And I think that we also have to be prepared to, to I believe in challenging people. You know, if if I if I Google something before I go see my doctor. I want my doctor to say, James, you're completely out of your mind. And if you want to die, keep Googling if you want to (laughs) live. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so if someone, I had a customer the other day goes, you know, I want to work with you guys and you know, we want to use MySQL. Um, Before I spilled my coffee on my shirt, I was like, why do you want to use, how do you know you want to use MySQL? I read, I read about you guys ahead of time. None of you guys are engineers. Why MySQL? Well, that's what we used before. Why don't we talk about the goal first and what we're trying to achieve? Maybe MySQL works. I have nothing nothing against MySQL, but th- I can tell you there's a truckload of other choices that might get you to your business goal. So let's get back to talking about that. Yeah, it's just so
0: weirdly specific, and it's just completely the wrong altitude for the discussion. Yeah. All right. So let's. So were you always good at detecting that? Or is this something that's come from the school of hard knocks? Like, what could you tell people who don't... What could you tell people who, for example, in this in this situation, they love MySQL, they agree with the decision, and they just accept the client's suggestion because they agree with it, but they don't make a... But they don't, you know, pull the ripcord and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, we're talking about the wrong thing here. Like, how... If you were going to coach someone, a, a mini-me, if you are going to coach them how to do this... What advice would you give them for detecting or building that spider sense, detecting when the conversation has entered into murky waters?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, to address the first part is I think it was the school of hard knocks, you know, failing um, a ton, um, just just failing a whole lot, you know, at, at every level of a startup at every every position. And I work my way up through the ranks sort of manually starting in, in the 90s. I was always a, uh, you know, what what I would say better than average engineer. Most of my, my, my career usually end up running something, but I was a terrible employee because I disagreed with everything. <laughs> and then mentors took that disagreement and honed it into a business owner and to the sort of the consultant mindset. The thing that I would challenge sort of the 25-year-old me is how much do you like to fail? Because the chances of failure increases proportionally with you accepting what the customer tells you they want. And if you get back to that business goal or the business outcome, you have to ask yourself, if you accept the MySQL suggestion and they fail, are you okay with that? Because at the end of the day, it's going to be your fault. If you accept 100% of your client's suggestions and three months from now, they can't launch or it fails, guess whose fault that is? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a pilot letting the passenger pl- fly the plane. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It makes no sense, right? You got to diagnose. I think that's the key. I think in this business, I mean, even if you're a software developer working for a FANG company or working for a mid-sized company, I don't think you let the product person walk up to you, hand you the proverbial JIRA ticket and say, yo, get to working. I think you, you sit back in your chair and you ask some questions and you challenge everything before professionally challenge everything before you get to work and make sure that you've got context that you provide suggestions and that you, you just don't become this mule or this bricklayer yeah be a thought worker so
0: that implies that you get involved in the project or the the situation before those big strategic decisions get made so how do you attract people at the right stage that early how do you how do you help those particular people become aware
1: that you are an option an insane amount of research so as part of my prospecting process i i have an ideal prospect profile uh, everyone does right whatever they call it and it is a list of traits for the human a list of traits and properties for the business what stage what problems they're trying to solve and what problems that we've solved where there's a Venn diagram overlap of of success. I make a Twitter list, or I make a LinkedIn list, or I make a a list in VI, and I target specific people based on a ton of research. So when you get my cold DM or my email, or you get my, my call, I am so in tune with what your issue is already that the conversation starts and, and ends there. I've got clients that have never asked me a question about technology stack. And the, as you might imagine, those are the best. Right. So if I call a mortgage company as an example, not that I love mortgage, by the way, don't mistake this because there's parts of mortgage that disgust me. <laughs> but if I call a mortgage company and I say, I've done some research on your competitors, you do 2,000 less loans a month, they're charging $95 a loan, you're charging $55 uh alone. Would you like to stop sucking, right? Oh, yeah, like dear listener, let that sink in. If you're if, I did a,
0: a, a podcast episode recently about like when and how to do cold calling or out, cold outreach and and what you just rattled off the top of your head, the person on the other end cannot hang up. They cannot not reply yeah. to that email. It would almost be like uh unethical for them to not respond to that right and it also sets the tone you know whether you know to the listener whether or not you like the james's style here you james you're laying it out like this is what it's going to be like to work with me i got i i play hard in the paint i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot straight i'm not gonna uh, mince words i'm not gonna just be a yes man and there's tons of people who like that Right. It doesn't doesn't it's not necessary that you need to be that way, but you but what you're doing there is just setting the tone one hundred percent for what kind of consultant relationship it would be and for folks who dig that, you're automatically gonna resonate with them. So that just like A plus plus, that was great. Love that.
1: Yeah, 100 percent And I think if if you're looking, you know, if if you're looking for someone to say yes, sir, and salute who is gonna use next.js because you said so with DynamoDB, you know, I'll just tell you straight between the eyes, like I can recommend somebody to you. I hope you're successful, but I can tell that we're not going to get along and life's too short. So, so why do it? But if you're looking for someone who is going to die trying, who is going to sleep less than you to get this done, once we sort of buy into each other, if you're looking for, that that teammate you know always say when when they put meta world peace with kobe bryant if you're looking for that person when there's a fight on the court to sort of run and jump in front of the punch for you but who's also going to hit you straight between the eyes then you got the right partner (laughs) nice fighter in both directions okay so so
0: let's talk about sales cycle how long is your sales cycle? Historically, how
1: long has it been on
0: average, if you know that?
1: So sales cycle for us, our, our close rate, if I get on the phone is 95%. That's if I can get a call. I'm not saying that I always do. Our sales cycles are measured in in weeks. I mean, we're always somewhere between 11 and, and 24 people. I know that's a strange number if you don't include the the partners that we work with but we're, you know, I try to stay 25 people or less. My goal is always to get smaller, not larger in mm-hmm. terms of the number of people. So our sales cycles are roughly, you know, two to two to four weeks. And it starts from either a warm lead with a lot of research or a complete cold outreach, you know, over LinkedIn or over Twitter, just mm-hmm. DMs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a process, so I have a flowchart and a spreadsheet that i follow so i send you a dm if you don't answer i send you a follow-up email if i have it if you respond to the email i suggest uh, a call and in each at each point in the sales cycle i'm offering value did you know this did you know that you suck relative to your competitors my my favorite for mobile is uh you know i'll spend all night going through like the reviews and I'll find yeah, an on app- their app, their, their two-star app. Yeah, yeah. And I'll say you're two stars and you know, your competitor is five stars. How does that feel? <laughs> and, would you, and would you like to talk about that? And I, you know, that, that little pitch there gets a call like 98% of the time, mm. even if they, even if they're prickly or pissed off that, uh, you know, I had the gall to insult their, uh, their application. But I think it comes with, comes with research. And I have a seven step process that um, I've honed over the years that go from the first message to, you know, first message to the call to what we call the whiteboard discussion. And then from the whiteboard discussion to the follow-up all the way up to the proposal and close. And once we send a proposal, we're usually closing like 95% of the time if we get that far. Right. Wild. Okay. So let's jump
0: back, jumping all over the place. Let's jump back to the, I I had a a question I said I was going to split in half. And so here's the second half. When you're, when you're in a situation where your team is building out stuff, what are the, what progress metrics do you use to satisfy the, the client and yourself
1: that you're on track to the bigger goal? Favorite question of all time. So, so for me, we're very demo heavy and we're, we're very, qualitative. So I, I honestly think 90% of the metrics in software development don't work. They don't tell your client where you are. No one has an idea of progress. And when you get to the end, you get, you know, fingers pointed in opposite direction. Yeah. I thought I was going to have X and we're saying, no, you said Y. We wrote a million lines of code. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> look at all this. Look, look at the, look at the number of check-ins King and the locks. guys like hey, uh, but I can't sell this. So what we do is we set up a demo schedule. And for the demo schedule, we set up qualitative goals. And you and I both know how difficult it is to to communicate with our people. And when I say our people, I mean engineers. Mm -hmm. So rather than having an engineer go from, say, a Jira ticket and a mock and write what he or she thinks they should develop I'm usually saying, okay, for this particular demo, um, the app should be on the iPhone and five users should be able to log in or 500 users should should be able to log in. So we write sentences. And I stole this idea from, from Amazon. So I write paragraphs on how our clients should feel at every demo and what the qualitative goal should be. And for me, that has been spot on in terms of how engineers make decisions, and what makes clients happy. And I'm usually asking the client um, ahead of time, so what are you expecting for the demo next Thursday? Like what what would make you smile and what would make you just tomato me right in the face? (laughs) Right? And And we have that discussion. And then I share that information transparently with the team to make sure that I'm evoking the emotion on the demo rather than going through a list of crap that we know we're not going to hit and even if we hit it they're going to have a different mindset or different idea of what that outcome looks like mm. so it, it, would you do the same thing if
0: you were working with their team and your your devs weren't involved 100 great
1: so, so okay i answer. spent <laughs> i spend time i do a lot of training um most developers experienced developers know what the you know that Software development projects fail seventy-seven percent of the time. That's no secret. You know, just Google. Go, go to Gardner, and it's, it's atrocious. It, it, it's it's an incredibly
0: it's an insane failure rate. It's ridiculous, in my opinion, that they even call themselves engineers when the failure rate is that high. Hundred percent, boy.
1: <laughs> yeah, you are you preaching to the converted.
0: Imagine I, if the bridge every seventy-seven percent of bridges fell,
1: <laughs> or flights. <laughs> you know, yeah. Really, yeah. It's like, you're going to get on this plane, but 77% of the time we're going to crash. (laughs) So uh, engineers that don't work for me, they also know that. And so I'm very good at building relationships with those engineers and saying, let's put together an accountability plan that we agree. Let's put together that demo roadmap and let's go dictate that roadmap to your boss, which is my client, and tell them what we're going to do instead of waiting for mommy to come tell us what to do. Mm And that is a message that I think resonates with every engineer in the world. And it's something for them to, to get behind very easily. And just, just having a dialogue about what, what success looks like. Right. And I, I listen to a lot of basketball coaches and NFL coaches in the huddle when I'm watching sports and they're almost saying the the right thing, right? They're not saying, you know, Hey, Steph Curry, I want to count your dribbles. <laughs> But if you, if you do if you do 220 dribbles we win right that's not how you talk to Steph curry that's not how you talk to engineers you say look they're out hustling us right if we win this quarter we 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 win the game right i want to see that guy sweat i want you to knock that guy down so i think when you when you come up with those sort of qualitative goals it's easy for people to understand it and they like it because that first iteration where they get success they're bought in oh yeah i'm surprised you don't end up accidentally poaching devs from
0: other from client teams who want to you know we, you.
1: we do we do sometimes It it is it is. we have uh a lot of engineers that want to come work with us or want to join one of our courses to learn how to run a business this way and i think it i think a lot of engineering teams if they just sat down and You know, no one really knows what qualitative means unless you are a disciple of of Alan Wise. But the the way I like to communicate that to the team is what do we want the client to feel, the customer to to feel? What is that emotional cue that we want to trigger with this particular demo? And we lay out an entire demo-driven plan that has basically Bitmoji's on the actual, you know, laid out, whether we're doing it in Figma or whether we're just hand drawing it, we lay out that entire map and we said, you know, we said you would be here um, and it works very well. Mm. Do you ever get the clients end users involved? It depends. So we'll run beta programs for the right client. So that again, that third package, it, you, you kind of get everything. And I, I like suggesting getting Customer feedback right away, especially if I think the CEO is smoking something, right? If yeah. they're if yeah. they're drinking their own Kool-Aid, you know, it's like, let's talk to a couple users or um let's comp this. We have a term that we use at Kofi where it's a comping strategy. Let's go look at a product like yours. Let's go look at the reviews, or let's bring in customers who used a product like yours and let's see what they say so we maybe you're right maybe i'm wrong but let's go validate it yeah instead of spending two hours and ten people in a room thinking it through oh god yeah that that you just made my skin crawl i don't want to think anything through right i want to comp it yeah right
0: oh man okay cool there's like uh, we could surely go for three hours here um (laughs) so but you you mentioned a couple of things that i think and I think there's going to be a, a number of people whose ears perked up at certain points in this conversation. You mentioned courses or workshops or something, and I know you have a mailing list and so forth. So where can people go to find out more about, about how to kind of follow in your footsteps here?
1: Well, I mean, you can go to our in our website, cofibi.com, and that's where you see both the fractional CTO service. And then we also have courses.cofeeby.com. And it's a passion project for me for courses.cofibi.com because I feel like a lot of engineers are giving away a lot of value right now. There's millions of engineers giving away a lot of value, and there's someone else riding off on the white horse with a million, multi million dollar stock package. When I write articles, one of the things I say is business guys get yachts and engineers get nice monitors. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to cut that crap out. So Mm. part of what we do in what we call our technology accelerator is teach engineers and, you know, how to be what I would say entrepreneurs, not a term that I I coin. And what is it? Entrepreneurs. So engineering entrepreneurs. I got it. Okay. And whether you want to work for a company long-term or not, you still need these, these skill sets, or whether you want to start your small business or start a big business, these skills are essential. And it's how do you sell? How do you negotiate? Do you know how to look at a cap table? Do you know how to negotiate your your salary? How do you go from $110,000 a year to $230,000 a year or $300,000? How do you go get a bank loan? How do you raise money? Which unfortunately I've been around far too often on the losing side, probably 98% of the time. Mm. And for me, what made the difference was mentors who said, James, you're really great coding, but you're an absolute dummy when it comes like 2,500 options. You are walking around here. Like you're going to own a jet and you're going to be able to buy your wife a couch. Let me tell you why. Right. So yes. I've taken that experience and put it in uh, sort of in an accelerator on courses.cofebe.com so that people don't have to live through the same pain I did. Mm. And I'll put it in the show notes, but how do you spell that? Cofebe is C-O-F-E-B-E dot com. What is that? Oh, it stands for Code for Engineers by Engineers.
0: Oh, very good.
1: Well, this this has been a blast. I, I'm so glad you reached out. I,
0: I feel like we should definitely keep in touch. Uh, But I will, I will uh, put that in the show notes, dear listener. If you want to find out more about, about this list of stuff that James has shared, if you think that the fractional CTO path is the one for you, uh, I think you're probably convinced. I don't probably need to say any more. Well, James, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again.